not right. For those wedded to the machines in their bedrooms, their studios, their best friend's garage or basement. For those who negotiate the system every day to make time for the music that matters. For those who get in debt to fund the fight against the mundane. For those who stay true to their cause even in the face of income and fame through compromise. For those who feel the power of every beat. For those who keep their minds open. For those who encourage and support those pursuing their personal dream. For those who sacrifice relationships to make sure the music is heard. For those for which the music is a lifetime, not a pastime. This is Bass Agenda. 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 Frankie Bones, and you're listening to Base Agenda. 17-year-old Jack Axedakos was driving home to Belmore last night after finishing work at his father's Lindcrest Diner in Lindenhurst. According to Nassau Homicide Sergeant John Nolan, witnesses saw Axedakos drag racing with another car along Merritt Road in Wanta. Nolan says the young man lost control and went into a little store. His body was pulled from the car by a Base Agenda. Welcome to uh, episode 160, where we're well and truly in legend mode. First couple of hours of the show are going to be dedicated to the music and the career of the amazing Frankie Bones, major player in the rave scene back in the 80s and 90s, particularly over in the UK, but also taking that sound and that concept back into the US. Excellent DJ, but also a producer, and particularly known for his Bones Break series, which is partly why we're here today because Bones Breaks is celebrating 30 years and the 18th edition of Bones Breaks is due out very, very soon. We'll be playing a couple of tracks from that for you over the course of the show. I'm going to keep talking to a minimum because Frankie's got a lot to say and so does his music. Just remember the full show with download and full track list will be up on iTunes and soundcloud.com slash bassagenda some point over the weekend. A lot of great raving memories coming up for you.
I was really young, um, and I mean really young, like, you know, like before school, you know, like my dad listened to a lot of, uh, you know, 60s rock music, um, you know, like The Doors. He actually liked the Moody Blues a lot. And, you know, as a kid, he would go to record stores and I'd go with him. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I don't come from a musical background. So basically, you know, on the weekends, go to like uh, shopping and see my dad buying records. So there was always records around the house um, from a very early age. And um, I think in the 60s, the late 60s, you know, the Woodstock era and then going into the 70s with like the glam rock and like how we went from like uh, David Bowie, Ziggy, uh, Stardust into like Kiss with the glam rock. And my dad was in all that stuff. So, you know, it, you know, it was it was kind of a weird time because it all it, it evolved from, you know, like the Woodstock era festival, uh, you know, political statement stuff and all that in the 60s going into the 70s and then living in New York City and New York City was um, really not a nice place in the in the 70s it was you know it was really like going through a dark period so um, you know then disco came along so I mean disco was like everybody's escape I was fortunate enough to be like 12 or 13 years old but then the roller disco thing kicked off so I was able to go roller skating and actually we had roller skating rinks in New York that had actual DJs that were like club DJs and that's how I got into the whole DJ thing from the roller skating. Hearing songs at the roller skating rink and then running to the record store to buy the record. And, um, you know, it just evolved from that, really. dad for a second job he was a cab driver and he got murdered in his cab in 1985 so this is like january of 1985 i was 18 years old when he got murdered and i never knew i never was at a funeral never was at a wake nobody died and then the first person that left this planet was my dad who i you know adored dearly so you know ripped a hole in my you know in my head but what had happened was Right before that, a month before, they raised the drinking age in New York from 18 to 21. So I was legally able to drink or legally able to be in the club for six weeks. And then they raised the drinking age. So my father got murdered and it was like the only way I was going to make it as a DJ at that point, because I was already thinking now I got to wait another two and a half years before I could go back and do what I was just doing. So I had to go and start producing, really. It was the only way to do it, you know? I'll, I'll try to, like, make, you know, music and see what happens with it. What, what happened with us was, in New York, we had the big freestyle scene, electro and stuff, and all the records had, like, multiple editing with that you did, uh, you know, with reel-to-reel and razor blades. So I, I friends with Omar Santana and Carlos Berrios, they were, like, the biggest editors of that era. And um, one day I said to Omar, I'm like, you know, you're taking the finished product and then doing multiple edits on it, and that's the finished product. Why don't we write the songs from the start and just make our own music? And that's how we did it, you know, because it was like he was getting all these uh, projects from major labels and we were starting to meet. But we were young. We were 16, 18 years old, but we were walking into any record label that, you know, had projects. And it was always endless amount of work for us to do that. So then we started writing and producing. So that's how that started for me.
with the Bones Breaks, you know, like my Bones Breaks compilations, at that time when I came up with Bones Breaks, there was only there was only three things I could think of that would have inspired me to do the Bones Breaks. It would have been the electro compilations because I had the box set of the nine of them that came out. And that was the whole collection at that point in 84. And then the Jack Tracks albums. The Jack Tracks albums also, the same, the same way the electro comps were, were the same way the Jack Tracks albums were. Most of the people in you know your country, in, in Britain, and um, no, most of Europe got them through those Jack Track albums, or else they wouldn't know what Chicago or Detroit house was. that don't make sense really they're not supposed to make sense they're just supposed to be stuff that djs can use as you know segues you know then there's then you know there are some that are tracks but um it just the whole concept of it took off really well because i think that when you're a dj and you go in a record store and you see something that looks like wow there's eight tracks on there i could buy this for you know five quid you know it makes it almost like you buy it because it's like you're saving money, you know? And then each Bones Breaks has one or two tracks that are useful. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know, one man's art's another man's garbage. But I think what it was, was Bones Breaks was so simple in, in the time they came out that I think a lot of people listen to them and go, wait, you can do that? And then the second they thought was, hey, I could do that. And they went and did it, you know? So it's crazy because that, was the thought I always had, but it was only solidified by when Prodigy did the Dirt Chamber sessions in 1999, where he used three Bones Breaks in the mix, and that that mix to me, he did something special. You know, it's not just because I was on it; it was just for the artists he used. He kind of bridged the gap of all different types of you know underground music. Awesome.
So as I said at the top of the show, the UK and Frankie Bones got a long history together. Frankie's got a lot of memories from the UK, and we talked about why it's so important to him and his views on the impact it had on the dance music culture. Well, I mean, you, you guys birthed the rave scene. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, that's where it all came from. Once, you know, the rave started happening, and, um, you know, you go to Ibiza and um, you go on holiday and, you you know, you see what was going on in 86, 87. They're playing Balearic music, really. But uh, what Balearic pretty much is, was at that time, I mean, to me, would be just a wide variation of different styles of underground music and sometimes pop music, too. But, um, yeah, but, you know, Nicky Holloway, I mean, they had that, you know, and they were like, we're going to come back. We're going to start Shoom. And then the whole thing just exploded. See, what happened with you guys is in the UK, you get in the car, you drive six hours, you're going to hit water somehow. I mean, unless you drive all the way to Scotland. But I mean, you know, in reality, it was much easier for the UK to network their, their, their scene and their music because you didn't have to you know, travel that far. That we didn't, have, we don't have that in America. America was always so such a big country that it was localized scenes, and you had Chicago, Detroit. You know, you had Miami base, and you know we had New York. But here's another thing about that. Even I, I don't think people um, realize that the M25 was just built, like I guess, in 1986. So here you have this ring that goes around, you know, the outskirts of London. I think it's 153 miles uh, all the way around. But the thing to do there was, you don't know where the party is. You just get on the M25 and drive to a petrol stop, and then the raver in there, and the raver, everybody's in each. And this is going on on the whole entire length of the road for the, the whole circle. Within two hours, you could be anywhere off the M25 in a field, and everybody's going to turn up. That was amazing. You could not do that anywhere else. It would never happen like that. You could drive one direction or you could drive the other direction. Within two hours, you're going to find out where everybody is. It was, such, it was so set up to do that, and, and I really appreciate that I was able to see that. <laughs> and everybody has the same crazy stories and the same crazy things, and it, it happens to everybody. It's like really weird things. And you're just like, you know, that's how I think like, I survived all these years because I think it was like the experience of a lifetime. When once you have the experience, it's like taking one pill and that's it. Lifetime, you know. Don't 
This is DJ Assault, the undisputed king of booty, and you're rocking with bass agenda. Yeah. Because like I was Carl in the very beginning, um, you know I have this phrase where I tell people I'm your favorite DJ's favorite DJ because I was one of Carl's favorite DJs back then. And watch Empire he created. I should have just stayed in the UK and never went home. You know how like a lot of Brits uh, go to California and they never come back. That being said, I should have just stayed in London. You know I was already living there on and off in 1989 and 90. And if I never went home, it just stayed. In, you know and. I could even develop the British accent, which would have never happened because I'm from Brooklyn. The Brooklyn accent is so hard that I would never get rid of it. But, but it, it, it's funny too. Nobody in the UK was ever impressed with my Brooklyn accent. But anybody that came over from the UK, come to New York, they Americans eat that up. They love it. something uh, been cropping up a couple of times in recent shows I've had people commenting that uh, the, the talking gets in the way of the music and uh, that's exactly how it's meant to be if you like the music go and buy the music if you want to hear a mix go and listen to a mix but that's not what this is coming up next Frankie chooses a couple of tracks that inspired him really got him triggered for making music himself Ok, 
Okay, well, Mandalay, I can tell you why right off the bat. Well, first of all, the original was a disco song from 1979 by a group called La Flavor. So um, that was big at the roller skating rink. But it was a really like kind of like, I would call it like a cliche, you know, white people kind of disco record. You know, it was very popular, but it wasn't like a pop song, but it was, you know, around at the time. So eight years go by. And the Latin Rascals, who were a DJ team who also did, they were the original guys that did the multiple editing thing. They pretty much um, started doing mixed shows where they were doing edits on Real to Real. And um, they were really huge in, in New York City in like 1984, 85. So they wound up going back in the studio to remix this, this Mondelez record. And then on the record itself, the remixes they did, it was a disco song. So they didn't really pull off like uh, a really good remix because it wasn't what they were known to do but there was the three minute clip of the 808s that they just went in and took an 808 but I, I realized that that beat had been playing in my head the whole time like from me getting to the industry in 87 and then you know I made it to London in 1989 it took two years but that beat was playing in my head for the two years to do is be a big DJ in New York City and I was becoming big but it is like they, every club only had one DJ one resident so the odds of me getting a residency was you know far and few but because of everything else happened in my life I overshot and I wound up in London I wound up 3,000 miles away from the mark that I was trying to you know and I'm not mad at that I'm not mad at that so, you know you guys over there you picked up on the house thing real early before it was able to become a culture in America because it was trapped in its own city limits in Chicago, pretty much. Without the UK, Chicago, you know, would have been stuck in its own city limits and, and nobody would have even known what it was. 
Yeah, I did. See, with the success and effect, and it, it's funny because Wikipedia gets edited all the time. Anybody could go in and edit Wikipedia. So when you look at the history of drum and bass, it is written really well, but they, they see they forgot something because everybody with the amend break, they don't realize the amend break. Okay, like the Mantronics record had it in it when I first came to London, King of the Beats, a lot of DJs were playing it. But Success and Effect is really the record, which is a third generation sample of the Amen Break. But that's how everybody in the rave scene, you know, first heard it in London, because of the Let the Bass Kick sample. How many records you go, early Break records, the Moving Shadow and Reinforced records, they all have Let the Bass Kick sampled in them with the chops in it. It comes from Success and Effect, so it don't really, at the end of the day, come from the Winstons, even though it's a Winston sample, but it's third generation sample which lit the scene up because success and effect record those chops and all those little big pieces of other records you hear in there that just that was just like classic like party like and it's a miami based record it, you know it didn't it shouldn't have wound up in a brooklyn dj's collection for a brooklyn dj to bring over to london to play to twenty five thousand people in one shot i mean it it was it was timing i i when I first came to London, well, it's the Bones Breaks the records that did it for me. What happened was they didn't even want to put the Bones Breaks records out. It was like the company, I, I worked at the record pressing plant. So I was really young. I was, you know, maybe 20, 21 years old. And I pitched him this idea. Yo, we're going to do this thing called Bones Breaks. They're like eight tracks on a record, but you're going to sell it for the price of a 12 inch. So it's like, you know, almost like you get a bargain, you get eight. So almost an album's worth of music for a 12 inch price. So they're like, all right, we'll try it out. We did the first one. It sold, you know, I expected three to 5,000 copies. So it sold like, it, it, it did sell like 10,000. But Bones Breaks 2, that one, I I mean, it it just, it just blew up where we couldn't even press enough to get to the stores. And then all of a sudden, all these like distributors in London are, you know, requesting the record. And we started selling as many of them in the UK as we were in America, which was somewhere between 20,000 copies, but like half of them are going strictly straight to London. So I'm thinking, wow, we're selling this amount in New York. What's going on in London that, that's making all these people buy these records? We didn't understand what was going on there. And then some said, yeah, they're doing these things, these warehouse parties and these things called raves. And we're like, know what a rave was we had no idea and if the music might have came from here but like we had no idea what raving was in america when i got there in london and i played in energy and it was only supposed to be five thousand people at energy but for me the most i ever spun for is two thousand people which was like that was you couldn't you couldn't take it out of that scale because the biggest clubs would hold two thousand people so to go there and then wind up playing as the sun comes up to 25,000 people for the first time being in the UK at that hour and those people and that scene had just, it just reached like the whole entire, like that's where it really started happening. And, and the, the second summer love and like August, September 89, it was, it was on every person in the UK, you know, the kids and you have good weather that year that was the year where it was really warm out so you know you have these open air parties it's 90 degrees 80 degrees out and like yeah, it, was, it was on <laughs> Come on. Dig this. 
chose i mean there's there's reasons for it i mean there's a million you could choose a million different songs but there's some things that sometimes may not seem as important on the surface but then when you look back at it and you realize what had happened from those tracks and uh, though i selected those two for a good reason because they uh, both uh inspired me you know the bonus beats thing on records they're just like three minute little things of clips of beats but it's always been Drums, you know what I mean? Drums is the primal, you know, and people have been banging on drums since the beginning of time, but like, that's the important part to me about music is the drums, you know? You are listening to Bass Agenda. The only system we need is a sound system. Okay, coming up next, Frankie's going to choose four tracks of his own that he's particularly proud of. A couple of remixes in there. Kicking off with this one, though, going way back with Acid Break. Thank you. 
track is so like it's just an RZ1 Casio drum machine and, and a, uh, a Kai 612 sampler. So the Kai 612 sampler was the first sampler that was, you know, at a reasonable price where you could afford it because before that they were thousands of dollars. It didn't have a long, a long um, stereo sample time, so you didn't get much out of it. So with that track, it's so raw. I was able to sample uh, two little bits of a, a 303 line and run it behind that Casio drum machine. And it's so primitive. It's so like, like one thing that Carl Craig told me a long time ago with the Detroit stuff, you had to put the soul back into the machines. Like you, anybody could take a machine and make a beat, but you gotta put the, you gotta put the human, you know, element back into the machine. So when, and on that level of what I had at that time, that track is brilliant because it's so, it's so like, it's so primitive. It's like, you know, when they first invented the wheel, it was like, you know, way before cars and electricity, it was like, that's what it, it reminds me of. But over time, you can listen to it, it's 30 years old, and I don't, you know, I know it doesn't, it didn't, it didn't hold, the te it didn't pass the test of time, but it, it's a part of time that when you listen to it, if you understand what was going on and what was available to use, yeah, it's brilliant on that level, I, I believe that, I mean. And then, too, the other thing was we were doing, like, well, I guess broken beats were, you know, coming off of freestyle music, we were, were doing, like, the Planet Rock intro beat rather than doing the house, um, you know, 4-4 thing. And I don't think the scene in, in London would have been as interesting in 1989 if we didn't have the breakbeat thing, because it was the glue that held it all together. Breakbeat held it. If you had beat, if you had like like you know some real Marshall Jefferson type of like house playing, and then hip house record come on with a breakbeat, and then it went into some more breaks. It kind of all together, or else it would have got really boring quick. I think. John Selway, and you're listening to Base Agenda.
crazy because this is during a time when, you know, uh, Wilfred Shaman went to do the video shoot and he actually drowned during the video shoot and passed away. And then Mr. C became the, uh, the, you know, the head man of the band. And this, they were pretty close with me at the time. So when that happened, it was devastating, really devastating. So the track Move Any Mountain had such a powerful kind of, you know, message to it. And at that point, a lot of remixes were already out of it, but I wanted to do something different. And what I did was it took the old freestyle records I used to do with girls singing and kind of went back and had a break beat. But what I did was I got bored on the dub mix. So I'm just like in the studio and I took a prelude record uh, visual. The music's got me. And that's Boy Jarvis. He just passed away recently. He produced it. I took the dub mix of, of that record and actually plugged the turntable into the 24th channel of the board and just rolled the record over the mix I just did for the shaming. And I, I remember Tommy Muscle looking at me going, what are you doing? Like, I'm like, well, I'm going to punch in and punch out parts with echoes and shit. And, and I'm, I'm just going to call it Prelude to Paradise. Like, because... That was what I thought would be a good title for the dub using that track. And uh, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why not? Who says you can't do it? It's like a DJ thing. You take records to make records. That's what I was doing. Well, it made it really special to me because I had already finished the track, but riding that record over and doing little dub pops and stuff in there, it was, it was kind of like, I, that, I enjoyed it. But yeah, I like, I like, it went, I think that mix went over a lot of people's heads like a lot of people don't know, but you can go back and listen to any remix of Shaman from back then. And a, a lot of that stuff didn't hold the test of time. That uh, again, it doesn't. It's not. It, it definitely is dated because it's 26 years old now. But I think you're in the scene now. You listen to it and you'd be like, "Wow, this is pretty good for 1991," you know.
Flawless Techno was the track that I made to go to London with. And I know the date, it was June 4th, 1989. I was gonna write a song that I could come on, grab a microphone and do the sing-along thing as I'm DJing. You know, when you're going to UK to DJ, you, you gotta go there and it's gotta be more than DJing. So I thought like doing the, you know, live PA thing would be a good idea, so I wrote Paul Techno. So, you know, Techno now has become, it, it's once again becoming uh, a mainstay in the scene. In the festivals, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger. So I thought, let me come out and remix, you know, Call of Techno for last year, 2017. You know, my wife, Melissa, she's like, gotta get some new guys involved, some new blood. So we found Rado, you know, like last year, and he's a French producer who um, just coming out at the time, making some really brilliant rave, like, uh, oriented tracks from like, you know, they're like new sounds. But at the same time, it's like, like the lyrics of Paul Techno is, you know, the techno wave has grown with the style of our own direct from Brooklyn. You know, he said, your funk kick and snare, make you feel it over there out in London. It was like, I wrote it for London. So yeah, it, was, it came back around for a second life. And um, I think it, it holds as much value now as it did then in its new version.
Leo got on on late. The, the track was already scheduled to release, and I was like, you know, Call Carlo had already did um, tracks for Intex, so I told, him, look, this is like a family thing. I, I need Call to do one mix because Rado's mix is so like large festival style. We need something that's more for the 500 venue, you know, club. I saw Call uh, Carlo play in Brooklyn at a club that held 500 people, and told him. I would appreciate you know you being on this project and then he went and did it and um so i wanted to have two people i really like do it and um yeah the end result amazing because you know the people that didn't know the song from back in the day got to hear it and yeah it's just uh it was just special to me because it was for london before i went to london
This is Dave Clark and you're listening to Bass Agenda. So we're just getting into a track by Rato, track that Frankie's chosen has blown him away recently. He also uh, picked a track by Jensen Interceptor track called Collect Those Ends. I'm not going to play it in this part of the show because Frankie drops it in his mix a little later on for you. Just listening to like the breakbeats that are out there today, and you know, there's there's some music being made today. I mean, when people are like, oh, it ain't like it used to be. It definitely ain't like it used to be. But to say that and think it's like, is that a bad thing? I mean, I think the music has developed in ways where what you can do is so endless with technology, and people are starting to get into that. That music is excellent. Yeah, I mean, Jensen is receptive. I mean, for real though, that is like. To me, it's it's a, really essential that that and then Paul Woodford's uh, the special request stuff that Paul Woodford does is like so request to me is like that is golden. But you know, Paul said himself that you know he's just going back to that eighty nine ninety vibe where pirate radio kind of fueled the UK scene in London and just trying to bring back like that warehouse where nobody knew where the party was and then they wind up somewhere down you know by Tower Bridge on the other side of the bridge there I just got to Waterloo train station and I'm trying to find the party and they're like well 10 pounds to get in mate and then there's like 20 pounds to get in and then you're in we brought it back to America with um, my my storm raves and did the same concept, but it was it was a lot harder to, to give to Americans and than it was in the UK. I think you know you guys were ready for it when it happened, and um, that was just great to be a part of that because not many got to see that outside of you know if you weren't there, then you wouldn't know. But that's what why all this exists today. <laughs> We heard something from Bones Breaks 18. As I said earlier, the series is celebrating 30 years this year. First track we're going to hear up from that is Burn Them Up Selector. Speak up. 
I'm what I'm trying to do is when I say 30 years of bones breaks, it's not like I've been doing these things like 30 years every year for as long as it's been going. It's like this would be volume 18. Um, but what I'm trying to do is I want I want it to be like the way when I did number two, it was a kind of a, a a shock to a lot of people. So, you know, I've been listening to a lot of breakbeat music and a lot of I, I listen to a lot of dubstep. I listen to a lot of drum and bass just to hear what's out there. And there's so many different subgenres of breaks. Um, you have Baltimore breaks, you have Miami breaks, you have Orlando breaks, but um, they all have a, a little bit of a different type of thing. So my thing is to do something simple, you know, but but make it where it's simple, like. You know, you could hear that I'm not using fancy like like arrangements. It's just like straight up analog, the way we used to do it with our drum machines and our samplers. You know, so but do it with a 19, you know, not a 1987 uh, feel. You want to do it where it could have a little resemblance of something from '87, but it's 2018, and um, you know, make it where people are like, wow, this is pretty cool, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm actually. Uh, I'm thinking that, you know, for people that enjoy that, they're going to like it. And if not, I mean, hey, <laughs> it's supposed to work the first time. So, you know, you know, it's a full circle. You come around, it should work the second time around if it did the first time, if you, if you plan it properly. So. This Detroit's filthiest, and you're listening to the number one underground bass agenda. views on the internet, how that's affected music, particularly from the point of view of somebody who's been in the game before and after the internet came about. I mean, I know there's been internet since like 1993 or 4, but nobody was doing social networking until MySpace came along. So it was in like 2004-2005. And then if you look at music, how it evolved once social networking came into place, yeah, I mean, uh, these people that made tons and tons of money doing it, that I'll make it tons and tons, wouldn't have been able to do that without the internet. So but the other thing is, it's like the technology too made it a lot easier for young kids to come up and make really, really brilliant work because, you, you know, a young kid 13 years old, 
he's gaming one day and the next day he's making tracks because it, it costs him, a, you know, what, it didn't even cost him. He just downloaded a couple programs and boom, I'm making music. And then the, the younger kids don't realize that, you know, we paved this way for them and I'm not owed anything for that, by the way. Nobody, I, I just feel bad for everybody that was around before the internet existed because we had to go out in the street and carve our way through to get our names out there. Because everybody's using computers and everybody's on a grid when they're mixing. If they're, you know, I'm not saying auto sync, but using Tractor or Serato, whatever they use, they tend to play at one tempo. And to pull one tempo for a whole night is kind of like not. You want to go up a little. You want to come down a little. You don't want to just stay at 124 for the whole night. And I'm finding it gets boring after a while. You know, there's no, there's no like peaks and valleys is what I call it. DJ is not rocket science. But what people forget is it's rock, it's science. You know, you got to know how to rock it. You know how to separate, you know, who knows and who doesn't. Like now, like the thing is, the, the way the past meets the present is the way the future arrives. I'm like, I'm 18 years old all over again because I feel like I'm climbing out hole that I left for myself when I didn't get on the internet right away, you know? And you, you stick to your morals and your values, but that lasts about, you know, it don't last too long if you don't fucking accept to not be alarmed, remain calm. The DJ booth is conducting a troubleshoot test of the entire system. A new frequency from the next DJ is about to begin with the house flavor. A little techno will make you go, yeah, what up?
America is going through some really rough times right now. We're like, with Trump being president and the segregation and the racism that goes on in this country and the fact that everything is on the internet in a blip, in an instant, it's it's divided people even further than they've ever been, I think. And um, it's weird because the internet's like the wild, wild west. It's like you go out on the internet and you explore, you know, like, I go outside my house and I get on a train or I get on the tube, whatever it is, and everybody's calm and civilized. Nobody's riding in the streets, but but they all take it to the internet. So it magnifies things hundred times over. There's really no real news anymore. Everything's fake news. Uh, everybody's like jaded. A lot of people just going on the internet to troll people and uh, and stuff. But it's really weird times. Um, my thing with the music was, especially in 1989 in New York, when we were also, it was very like racial and very like, my social network and experiment back then was to get this music to hold different types of people in one room for an extended period of time, being you could be gay, straight, boy, girl, black, white, you know, you just go there and like keep everybody happy by mixing one record into another record for an extended period of time. And it actually worked. And, and it, it still works. That's why DJ culture is as big as it is. But the thing is, you can't, you can't discriminate with somebody over liking the music. If you're there, you're there for the music. This has not become a billion dollar industry because we were all doing drugs. At the same time, I mean, without ecstasy, when ecstasy hit in, you know, 1989, like when MPA was like the thing that all the kids did. Yeah, that's really why it happened the way it did. Otherwise, why would you be standing in a field in the mud at six in the morning? Nobody does. That's what really shook me to it because I never heard of ecstasy when I first came to London. We had we had a cachet of all types of hallucinogenic drugs in New York, but not ecstasy. Acid and mescaline and and you know people were tripping, but you know in Chicago with house they were putting acid in the punch bowl, but that's not MDMA. MDMA is like the other way around where you don't really lose your mind if the music's holding it all together. You are fine. The minute the music stopped, everybody was a mess.
Wow. I mean, you know, it was at the Stone Rose uh, concert up in Liverpool. I think it was in early 90. I think it was it was a highlight for me because I knew walking in there that if there's 33,000 people in there, maybe a third of them been to a rave or like rave music. They weren't there for Frankie Bones. They were there to see Stone Rose. So, you know, I mean, I, uh, I got to play for 33,000 people, but I mean, only 11,000 of those people appreciated what I did. Walked in there and they're like, you gotta play music now. And I'm like, wow. I mean, yeah, like 22,000 people wanted to lynch me and wanted to hear them play, but, but that's what happens when you're a DJ opening up for a concert, you know what I mean? So that should be expected, but. But it, it, it led, led me to see the actual future of what was going to go on and that this was going to be bigger than life, and it was. So I read the Stone Roses book, and the manager said that they didn't want to book Frankie Bones. They wanted to book Frankie Knuckles, but they got me by mistake, which is a bunch of bullshit because at the time I was huge to rave scene in the UK. Frankie Knuckles was Frankie Knuckles. He's always been Frankie Knuckles. He's, but Frankie, you know, a lot of people would get me confused with Frankie Knuckles, and, you know, then you have Frankie Shag Bones running around London. So, you know, everybody's getting confused. The white guy walks in, wait, I thought you were black. A lot of people always told me that. I'm like, oh my God, scary, you know? And then um, I got to ask Frankie Knuckles before he passed away. Uh, this is actually in 2004. I'm in Florida at the uh, Dance Music Awards. I saw Frankie and I'm like, does anybody ever get you confused for me? He goes, Bones, absolutely not. And I'm like, well, white people, straight white people are the dumbest people in the world because that happens to me all the time. But yeah, it's still, still to this day. And it, it, it's it's so funny. Like, people are, yeah, I've been listening to Frankie. I, I meant, no, I meant Bones. <laughs> Last track of part one coming up, and this is also taken from Bones Breaks 18, a track called Gangster Music. After this, we're going to get into Frankie's mix, and after that, we're going to have about half an hour just checking out what else is on the radar, particularly in the electro world. people doing this there's people on your street and on your neighborhood in your city they're doing the same thing so basically you got to do this because you love to do it you're not trying to do it to make money if money comes along yeah yeah that's you know at the end of the day everybody wants to do this for a living but yeah the thing is stick to what you believe in and and your friends and your family could be the worst influence like they could be the ones that tear you away from it so if you if you love to do it you have to do it from your heart 
you know, what you're doing. And don't let anybody tell you. It's always good to get people to critique your stuff, but but don't ever take anything anybody critiques and say, if somebody's like, oh, no, that's garbage, that's trash, that's rubbish. No, no. That's just your opinion. And, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. So you on and you find your niche. But uh, you have to stick to your, what you believe in your heart or else, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I was always stubborn like that, which has, you know, also been kind of the reason why, I'm, you know, people are like, well, if Bones was such a legend, why doesn't he blah, blah, blah? I and mean, I have everything, you know, it's just because you can't easily look it up on the Internet and get it all in one shot like by Wikipedia. <clears throat> That's one thing I need to do. I got to update my Wikipedia because there's so much more. It's like I died in 2004. My label is um, Banging Music. Uh, it's a label that my wife and I started last year. Um, we have, uh, you know, uh, we have about a dozen releases out. We have, we're still pressing vinyl, um, and then we do the digital thing. Um, no, I don't really have anything to say except for like, you know, the whole like peace, love, unity, respect thing, plurum, which became really big in America. Um, it's always been that vibe, and you know, just you just the, the key component is respect. You just respect everything. If you go out and you respect everything and everyone, you're gonna have a good life. If you you know, the internet kind of tears people away and makes everybody get into you know trolling and this and that. Just, nah, the best thing to do is just respect everything and everyone and do what you do best, and that's how you're gonna succeed, really. Let the bass kick. 
This is Jensen Interceptor, and you're listening to Base Agenda.
fun and pulling bins up. Type it in, Google's your friend, bruh. Bitch, I've been cracking since the 80s. Google me, baby, you crazy. 89 in London, pulling bins up. Type it in, Google's your friend, bruh. Since the 80s Google me, baby, you crazy 89 in London, pulling bins up Type it in, Google's your friend, bruh Bitch, I've been cracking since the 80s Google me, baby, you crazy 89 in London, pulling bins up Type it in, Google's your friend, bruh
You're rocking with no nuclear, and we're cooling our fuel rods with base agenda.
This is the Advent, and you're listening to Bass Agenda. Thank you. 
Thanks out to Frankie Bones and to his wife Melissa for getting in touch and for putting so much effort into making the show what it has been. Hope you've enjoyed it. No sign of Frankie slowing down. Plenty more good stuff to come, no doubt. Next up, we're going to spend about half an hour digging through the promo box, looking at a couple of other new releases that have come out recently. But if you want to find out more about Frankie, keep an eye on what he's got planned. Pay a regular visit to frankiebones.com and check him out on social media. More music coming up.
This is Oliver Chesler, The Harvest, and you're listening to Base Agenda.
matchup for you. We kicked off this section with something new from Jensen Interceptor out on E-Beams, a track called Hydro System, then into something from a new label. That was Meow Poor by Foreign Sequence. The label is called Post Human. Then we got into something from Thomas P. Heckman. Nice banging track, Provide the Future. Then into Bass Junkie, Surrender or Be Destroyed, taken from his low-frequency Fugitive EP, which is out now digitally and on uh, limited vinyl as well. That's out on Bass Agenda Recordings. Then into Dynamics 2, featuring Diamond Eyes, track called Night Ride, that was the club mix. Coming up next, something forthcoming from uh, Oliver Way, one of the guys from uh, Detroit Grand Pubers, of course, also the man behind EPM Music. This track's called Calling Danny Boy and features Ben Long.
the end of this extended edition of Bass Agenda. Hope you've enjoyed it. Final track coming up is from Andy Clark's new album coming out soon on Bass Agenda. The album's called The Call of the Void. I love this guy's work. Something really, really different. Epic sounds. And this track's going to close the show for us. It's a track called Sonda. I'll see you next month where we'll have an interview with Blixaboy and Vibo's live set from Whippet last weekend. Massive amount of epic unreleased material on that mix which you're going to see seeping out very soon. Thanks for your support. Spread the word. Have a good weekend. Cheers.
Thank <laughs> you. 